0: Hot flashes, vaginal dryness, painful sex, low libido, recurrent urinary tract infections, weight gain, insomnia, orgasm. What orgasm? Menopause is a very special time, and I'm betting you've not gotten a lot of information from your own doctor. I'm Dr. Lauren Stryker, a clinical professor of obstetrics and gynecology, the medical director of the Northwestern Medicine Center for Sexual Medicine and Menopause, a practicing gynecologist, best-selling author, and a nationally recognized menopause expert. My mantra has always been... If women are given good information, they'll make good choices. And I'm here to give you the inside information on all things menopause. With women delaying pregnancy, the year you start flashing just might coincide with the year you're sending your son or daughter off to college. So while this podcast is not for everyone, if you are a midlife woman who has kids who are college bound, you need to know that things have changed a lot since you left home and went off to school. Today, I'm joined by the expert when it comes to keeping your kids safe while away. Dr. Jill Grimes is a family physician and author of The Ultimate College Student Health Handbook. We're going to have a conversation about preparing your kids for their first illness, accident, or anxiety when you're not around to help. So welcome, Dr. Grimes. Thanks so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. Well, so first of all, congratulations on the launch of the second edition of the Ultimate College Student Health Handbook that has won so many awards, I can't even list them. And this truly is the Ultimate Health Handbook. I mean, there are 60 chapters and you cover it all. Homesickness, hangovers, hang nails, headaches, hives. I mean, it's it's truly the, the next best thing to having your family position as your kid's roommate. But what I want to focus on are what I think of as parent nightmares. So let's start with your chapter titled, what you might not know about pot. What don't we know is is pot different than when we went to college? Yes, yes it is.
1: I never go in with pot is bad or pot is good. You know, you they they have a preconceived notion and it's very dependent on their peer group. So what's new about pot? One of the things I say is, "Hey guys, it's not your parents' pot." So, first of all, um we do know that the THC concentration back when parents were in school was was much much lower, um, you know, we're in the range of five percent ish, and now routinely it's fifteen percent. You can get it up to thirty percent, um, and interestingly, though, I've read recent articles that suggest that the concentration does not necessarily equal the hallucinogenic effect. And you may know more about that than I do, um, but at any rate, it is it is different concentrations, and for most people. It's much stronger than it used to be. so that's one. Number two, if you didn't grow it you don't know what's in it. Yeah. And um, that's this is my, my biggest take home because unfortunately I see the bad outcome. so I you know I have a skewed population but I'm seeing the problems that come in in an urgent situation. And what happens is people think that they've only had pot, but illegal pot dealers so in states where it's not legal, Like Texas, which is where I am, all pot that's in Texas is illegal because, you know, it's not legal here. So illegal drug dealers, it's sold by weight, they'll put things in it to make it weigh more. So it might be ground up glass particles or some sand to make it heavier. And, you know, first of all, you're inhaling that. But the bigger scare is something that we call wet weed. Uh, Every all the ER docs at least call it wet weed. And that is that it's not just pot, it's laced with something else. And what's the something else? Well, believe it or not, around here, the most frequent thing that it's laced with is LSD, acid.
0: Whoa, that's terrifying. Yes. Absolutely terrifying. And, and as you said, I mean, you know, they're not growing it for the most part in their, in their dorm room. No. So, okay. So let's say as a parent, you have Mm -hmm. a a college student and you know that cannabis is part of their life. Mm -hmm. How do you, how do you help them? How do you protect them? How do you keep them safe? What do you, what do you tell them to look for in terms of if they are going to be purchasing some cannabis? Well, because it's, So, uh, because it's legal in many, many states
1: now, honestly, it's not too hard for people to get pot from a legal dealer, um, which I have far less concerns about because I don't believe that they are lacing theirs. Um, So, one, if they're in a state where it's legal, have them buy it from a legal dealer, not buy it from the guy down the hall. So, so
0: That sounds like your number one recommendation is to only allow your child to go to college in a state where cannabis (laughs) is legal, (laughs) right? Okay, that's fair, and that's not going to happen all the time. Okay. Or have a child. Well, it okay, would be start. an interesting thing to put on your list of what you're looking for in a, in a university or for your
1: actually. Believe it or not, there are a lot of parents that do make that choice. i bet. Um, which which well either way. A lot of times, people are afraid. Actually, people are terrified of Colorado. I love Colorado, but all the time I hear parents say, "Oh, I don't want my kid to go to to college in Colorado because they're the pot's legal there." And I'm like, if you think there isn't pot. All over in every university, you're sadly mistaken. So, okay. So ideally, I mean, the main thing is for people to understand that if they are going to smoke it and they are not getting it from a legal sale, then they need to understand the, that that risk includes there being something else in it. And so they need, their friends need to know that. And if they start having a bad trip, that they are having severe hallucinogenic effects or nausea, vomiting, etc that they need to get help. They need to go to an emergency room or an urgent care center. Yeah.
0: You know, and that's one of the things that I like so much about your book is that you really explain when it's okay to kind of deal with something on your own and when it's not, you know, when you need to get right. to the emergency room. But, but really, I think the message is um, in that specific case is that instead of just pretending like it doesn't happen for parents to talk with right. their student and say, look, if you choose to use cannabis you know, be aware that everything that you just said, so it's, it's right. all about having the conversation.
1: And and yeah. if I can interject, um, let's talk about, gummies. Let's talk about edibles. So um, gummies meaning gummy bears. So the, so edible cannabis comes in many forms. Traditionally, everyone thinks about magic brownies, um, women of our age. Right. Delicious. And so it comes in brownies and chocolate and, and gummy bears. And one of the things that you really need your kids to know is that As opposed to inhaling a substance, so inhaling pot, you're going to get the effects right away. When you have an edible, it has to be digested. And then if you have food in your stomach already, it's going to be digested more slowly. But we're talking 30 minutes till you feel anything. And more often, about an hour, it can peak at like an hour and a half after you consume it. But what happens is you have this cute little candy bar or gummy or whatever. And all of the edibles are, are really kind of childish sweets, things that seem quite innocent. Yeah. And so you have one and nothing happens, you know, five minutes later, you're like, I don't feel anything. So you have another one, maybe have another one. And the problem is that's when you get way too much. Edibles are, are really, Tricky well, it's, and- it's so
0: funny because I just um, had a podcast a couple of weeks ago that was talking about cannabis and menopause and the danger of edibles, because it turns oh. out that menopausal women metabolize cannabis even more slowly so that oh. they might not oh. feel the effect of an edible for even two hours or more. And so same problem. They think nothing's happening. This is delicious. I'll have a little more. And then they're feeling stoned and paranoid and frightened. Yep. It's not a good thing. And it's, and it's really important to note that it's the same for college students. The other thing that we don't know, and there's a lot we don't know about cannabis because of course it hasn't been well studied, but we do know that estrogen impacts on the metabolism of, of, um, cannabis. And so the question is, and nobody knows the answer to this question. I don't know the answer to this question, but we have all these college women, young women who are taking birth control pills that mm-hmm. have relatively high doses of estrogen. And what is that going to do in terms of you know, the metabolism? So right. while we are on the topic of college women using hormonal contraception, of course, as I'm leaving through your book, Um, The first paragraph in chapter 35 caught my eye. I'm going to read it. All right. You are a female college student on birth control pills. And last weekend, you survived an eight hour long, miserable (laughs) middle seat squeezed between two sleeping humans flight back from studying abroad. Now your chest feels tight. Your heart won't stop racing. And as you walk to class, you start coughing and you can't seem to catch your breath. Your lungs may seem completely normal or one of your calves may appear swollen, tender or red. If that doesn't reel them in, I don't know what will. But, you know, what you're talking about, of course, is about the idea of having a blood clot, a woman who's on birth control pills. But so this is my question. I mean, it's great that you have this information in there, but we know that this is really rare. So through the book, how do you balance students having this kind of life saving information without causing a panic? when they're on their own and they're reading this at two o'clock in the morning.
1: All right. Well, I hope that they'll read the rest of that chapter, which will eventually tell them that you're a much higher risk of getting a clot if you're pregnant or after pregnancy, immediately, yeah, because that's when it's more common. And, and I share the real numbers, uh-huh. um, so, which hopefully will calm them down. I, I really I struggled with what all to put in this book. I started with 100 topics. And then, of course, the publisher said, uh, no, that's too long. <laughs> it has to be half that. And so as I cut them down, I wanted to leave in a few things that we see. That are not common, but like this, we we see a fair number of clots in legs, and less numbers of clots that go to lungs. But we see that. But the important thing is, if you're a college student and you call the 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 nurse center, you know the nurse triage or the you
0: know the helpline, student health center. When I was a student, it was kind of a scary place because they weren't particularly great there. But I hope that's right, right. not Having Having been in
1: college health for the past seven years, I'd like to think it's a little okay. better. But it, it does depend on the location for sure. Yeah. Where I went to school, they called it the quack shack. You know, yeah, it, exactly. It, it is what it is. But it, it, honestly, the care has improved greatly. But the point is, what I want young people to understand is that if you call in and you say, I'm having chest pain, and you're a female or a male on hormone replacement that it, we have to make sure it's not the very worst thing that it could be. And so you have to come in. We can't do that over, over telehealth. That's not a video visit. And that's why that one's included. The same thing with spontaneous pneumothorax, which is a collapsed lung. Do we see that very often? No. A couple times a semester, at least. I mean, honestly, I saw it more on campus than I did three miles away in my private practice for 20 years because the population that gets it is, you know, tall, skinny basketball players. (laughs) And, and, um, and so we just see it more frequently, but it's something that it isn't even, it's, if it's not in their
0: head, it doesn't occur to them that it could be something serious. Serious, right? Because students do have, you know, this notion of nothing could yeah. be bad. I'm young. I'm healthy. I'm invincible. So, right. so you're right. You have to include it. But I, I think you really do an, an incredible job of not creating panic, of of putting it in context and saying it's probably not this, but better yeah. to be on the safe side and make sure then to let it go. So let's, let's talk about date rape, you know, in the, continuing in the theme of parent nightmares. You and I both know the numbers are sky high. The last statistic I read was that one in four college women are victims of non-consensual sexual activity. First of all, is it, is it Still that high. And second of all, what do parents need to know? What do they need to tell their daughters and their sons?
1: I was going to say, and and also it's, I I don't know what the most current information is because COVID has skewed everything with our, you know, so all of our information is really about three years old now. But um, I believe the last I read was about like one in eight or one in 10 um, Mm -hmm. young adult males also uh, have have had that experience. The one
0: in four for women is still...
1: Uh, yeah it's it's really really common honestly i mean i've read studies where it's 50% you know it, it mm. it's it's so hard to quantify Let, let's just leave it that it is extremely common and it's still very common for young men as well re- regardless of whether of what their um, gender or sexual preference is, yeah. uh, you know, people think of it as only being men being the aggressors, and that's actually not the case. So, um, first thing I want to say is that so many parents are terrified of the date rape drug, and what they're thinking about is Rohypnol, which is which is a drug that can sort of erase your memory, and 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 it is indeed a date rape drug. But the most common spike is not another drug it's more alcohol what? so the thing is you're drinking a drink and someone makes you a drink and they put in you know used to be everclear now it's just more vodka every everything that where where anyone listening to this podcast that is a woman of our age it was beer replace that with vodka cuz now everything's vodka vodka shots and that and that's dangerous because a shot is a tiny amount it's consumed quickly And again, like like the edibles we were talking about, people tend to do one, don't feel anything, two, three, four. um, And they get and then they shoot their blood alcohol levels up through the roof 30 minutes later after they've done four or five shots. And then they get what's called blackout drunk. And I'm sorry, I'm kind of combining topics here, but this is important. So let's talk about blackout, blackout drunk versus brownout versus passed out. So if you ask Joe average person on the street, what is blacked out drunk? They're gonna say it's someone who's passed out. That's not actually what we mean. By blackout, we mean that there is a blackout in your memory. And what happens is the blood alcohol concentration raised too quickly, um, usually because of shots, almost always because of shots. And when that happens, you stop laying down memories. It's literally you're not creating the memories. So the next day, your buddy who was with you the whole time, they can give you all those hints. Oh, don't you remember? You know, you saw that really cute boy and then you went in the other room and then you were dancing. Remember that song? No matter what they remind you, you're not going to remember because you were not creating memories. That's blackout drunk. And so you have this memory gap. Brown out, or some people say gray and in the South, generally people say brown out is where you've got patchy memory. So that blood alcohol level was shooting up, but you, you know, you remember a little bit more kind of like a movie montage where you remember little different things, but you lost up in between. But parents, listen, here's the important thing for, for all young adults to know. If you are with someone and they are getting blackout drunk, they, at the time you're with them, they may not even be slurring their words. They, you, you know, you, you see them drinking and maybe you see them doing a bunch of shots, but you don't know whether or not they're going to lose memory of this time that you're with them, which means they are not going to remember if they gave consent. And consent is ongoing, enthusiastic, verbalized consent. That's what we don't, we, it's none of this... Um, Uh, One of the swishy washy well, maybe, okay. He didn't say no, or he didn't say no. Just, you know, just, just say no, no. Consent is enthusiastic, ongoing, verbalized consent. And even if they gave you that the next morning, if they have, if they have a blackout or a brownout for that little section of time where you were physically intimate, they have no memory of giving consent. And so, Everyone understands
0: the, the implications. What can happen with that. Yes, we are. all so,
1: Anyway, so back to, to date rape. So one of the things you need to know is the most common spike is more alcohol. So how do you fix that? Drink something that comes in a container. This is not a good example. I'm holding up my water. <laughs> don't do that. What you want to do is like white claw is a very you know, common thing for, for young adults to drink nowadays, but, um, all these, these different hard ciders, but a beer that comes in a can or a bottle or a white claw or wine, if it's in, you know, an individual closed container, container. but but that's what you want to have and you want to open it yourself. And, um, there's really, there's the, the big trash can punch that used to be very popular Mm. um, when we were in college. (laughs) Um, that is really less of a thing now, which is good. But um, if that's out, tell them never to have that, obviously, because you cannot control what's in it. And honestly, that people sometimes do slip in like a Xanax, which is a sedative like like uh, Valium. And when you combine that with alcohol, that can be deadly, suppresses your drive to breathe, suppresses your gag reflex. You get too drunk, you throw up, you choke on your own vomit. So these are these are the things
0: that we got to talk about. Yeah. So as a practical matter, if a young man or a young woman thinks that they or knows that they were a victim of sexual assault, um, and I actually I did not come across that in the book, but I'm assuming that in the handbook, it tells them what they should do what yes. they, you know, what the steps they should take, who they should contact. Um, yes. You know, you and we I know that we don't want food. to get rid of any evidence. You know, you don't want to shower necessarily. You want to keep the clothes that you were in. There's an organization called Rain that I always tell people they should contact. And and that's information that I think is so imp- important for parents to know so that they can make sure their, their, their kids have that information. Right. All right. So I have really to admit. before that. Parents are usually called three days later. I know. The parents are the last to know. Yeah. So I I have to admit there was only one chapter that I was kind of disappointed in, Uh-oh. and um, I eagerly went to the chapter on piercing problems Oh no. and hoping that you would have horrifying pictures of tongue piercings, genital piercings, lip piercings gone wrong, you know, infections, abscesses, body parts that have fallen off. And to my profound disappointment, <laughs> you only discuss complications of ear piercing, which is very useful if you're a student and you've got a red swollen ear, but Why didn't you include the potentially horrible complications of piercing other body parts to maybe dissuade them from doing it? I mean, as a parent, I, you know, so tell me about that. So
1: I wanted to make sure that I had credibility with this population and piercings, ear piercings, all body piercings are very common, but the most common problem that we see and we treat in urgent care you know, on campus or, or urgent care in our private practices near campus is these ear piercings in the cartilage. And the problem is that that because they're so, so, so common, nobody thinks they're a big deal. So they don't come in right away because they know that they've maybe had another infection just in their in their earlobe when they got that pierced and that was no big deal. So they wait too long to come in. And so I really wanted to emphasize that that was the biggest risk. Um, We really rarely see serious infections with the other body piercings. The tongue piercings, the biggest problem is chipping the teeth. Um, And it amazes me that we don't see infections all the time with tongue piercings because the tongue, the mouth is so uh, dirty. (laughs) And you would think that. We would see a ton, but the reality is we just really don't. And um, I, you can have, you certainly can get infections with piercings other places, but at least in my clinical experience and from looking at the numbers, I didn't think it was Common enough to justify scaring them to Jesus out of them.
0: Okay, so I think what you're trying to tell me here is that your book is not about scaring your kid from doing things. It's about giving them actual information about things that may actually happen to them. All right, no. I'll give you that one. Well, you right. you did not disappoint in your chapter on sexually transmitted infections. You know, when when my oldest daughter went off to college, I basically told her that every boy in Boston had herpes, and I kind of left it at that. So. <laughs> And I probably should have told you more, but she grew up with a gynecologist, so she was pretty savvy. But should parents talk to their teens about this or just hand them your book with a big red bookmark in that chapter? Actually, a fresh twenty placed in
1: strategic chapter oh, works better. I Just love gonna that. Throw that. Out there, <laughs> a lot of people with a lot of success on that. You know, it it truly depends on your relationship with your young adult because if 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 your relationship is that you've said you don't have sex till you're married, which is still very common in many families, particularly more so in the south, um, and then you switch gears and say, let's talk about all these different. STDs. One, it's going to come across as a scare tactic more than education, um, and
0: two, a lot of people just can't. Just uh, this is why they hire me to come and talk to large. Lord. Right. Well, it's so funny because whenever a mother says to me, "Well, we teach abstinence in my family, and you know, we tell our kids that they're not to get to be sexually active until they're married," and my response always is. And I'm sure that you are not sexually active either, you know. And they just kind of look at them because we know what: two percent of people are actually virgins when they get married, something like that. It might be different in the South, you know. I'm, um, but but still They're different cultures or different cultures. But. No, no. But I, but I think your point is well taken. That sometimes coming from a parent, it's a mixed message of don't have sex, but by the way, if you do, um, you you may get this infection. But as you and I well know, these infections are transmitted not just from intercourse, but just from any intimate contact. Or sexual activity. And so that's what makes it even more important, I think, to get that information to these people.
1: Right. And one of the things that sometimes parents uh, can approach it in in the whole sort of date rape conversation, you know, you may intend to not be sexually active and you may end up as a victim of a sexual assault. And either way, you
0: you can contract these diseases. But, yeah, well, I used to talk to parents a lot when if they were hesitant to um, get an HPV vaccine for their daughter saying, well, of course, my daughter doesn't need it because she's going to be a virgin. And, um, and, and at that point, I would say, well, would you have her go for a drive without putting her seatbelt on? Because this is the same thing. She may be a victim of non-consensual sex, even if her intention is to not be sexually active. So, or her
1: future husband. You know, it's not going to be a virgin. Have had Let's... sex before met her. I mean, that's still more acceptable in many,
0: many uh, different cultures. So. Well, I personally think that your best idea is to put the twenty dollar bill in the STI <laughs> chapter and then just hand the book to your kid and see what happens. Well, well your very first it's... book was about STI, seductive delusions, before you yeah. wrote this book, and I love that book. That's still out there, isn't it? It is. It has two editions, also. Two <laughs> editions, also. Terrific book.
1: Yeah. And that's just stories of, you know, successful, beautiful, intelligent people uh, getting STDs because that's everybody gets them, yeah, you know? And, and, uh, yeah, I think also, I think if parents, I think many parents, if they read through. So I have written a couple books on STDs, actually, including an STD encyclopedia, which I'm sure is everyone has a copy of that
0: and reads that at their dinner table. But uh, at any my rate, family, we, we talk about sexually transmitted infections all the time <laughs> at the dinner well, table. I think your family, my family is just a little
1: different. Than Maybe. The average. But all kidding aside, I. Um, you know, the, uh, probably your knowledge. If, if you know, if you're again a woman of our age, it's quite possible you might learn a thing or two just reading through that chapter. And it's again from a non-judgmental point. You know, we see the same things over and over again. And whether that's getting, you know, getting genital herpes from a blowjob from oral sex, this does happen. This is why there are flavored condoms. I always pause a moment after I say flavored condoms because everyone, there's this little light bulb moment where they're like, oh, wait, well, uh, the only reason you would use a flavored condom is with oral sex, right? right? So, but but people don't think about using condoms with oral sex. So once once you put that out there,
0: you know, okay. Yeah, absolutely. Well, but, but the point yeah. that you just skimmed over that I think it's so important is that parents also learn a lot from these books and not to mention 50% of women over the age of 50 are single and out there. And the advice that you are giving to young adults also serves midlife adults very, very well. All right. Margarita dermatitis. I never heard of it. Could you please explain what margarita dermatitis is?
1: Yes, so this is and she, and she is saying that Margarita not like the name, but like our fabulous tequila drink right. So he
0: dermatitis
1: So it's also called bartender dermatitis. So what it is, it's a phyto photodermatitis. dermatitis. So phyto is chemical, photo sunlight, dermatitis, inflammatory skin. So it, it takes three things. So it takes if you are outside, you have to be outside because you got to have sunlight. And you spill lime is the most common one, but um, most a lot of citrus foods will cause this and a few other things like celery and stuff. But honestly, I'm just telling you, we see it from lime, occasionally from lemon. And if you get lime juice spilled on you and then you're out in the sunlight and you don't have sunscreen on or you're not, you know, your skin isn't covered. Then you get this rash where you know where that where the lime juice was. And it first starts off, it kind of looks like poison ivy. It's it's red, it's painful, it can blister. Um, and it's usually just I'm pointing to one arm here, but you can't see me, but I am, um, because usually it just splashes on one area. And so people think that it's a it doesn't show up right away. It shows up the earliest, maybe 12, 24 hours later, usually like maybe even a couple of days later. And so you know, when you you have a red bump on your arm, you're like, "Well, what did I do? I just get stung by something." So people think it's a spider bite or the poison ivy. They brushed up against something, and then oftentimes, and if they do nothing, it will resolve on its own. But it will leave. Dark spots where it was, so we call that post-inflammatory hyperpigmentation. So after the inflammation, it's it's stained darker, and if the lighter your skin is, the darker this this mark is, and so then you're stuck with splotchy brown spots on your arm or
0: leg or wherever it's spilled for months. So yes, yeah. You know, who knew that is so fascinating. This sounds like this alone should keep college <laughs> students from going on spring break. Just saying, <laughs> so you end up with. They just need to put on sunscreen, and they need to
1: reapply it every two hours, and you know then they're then they're good to go. Because again, you you have to have all three elements Still there. The I'm thinking straight tequila. No, I'm kidding.
0: Yeah. The, um, Not.
1: There you go. If, but if they're doing tequila shots, then they bite the lime, and then that's worse because that's you get splattering. So yeah. Okay. So just, you know, <laughs> if, if you get lime juice spilled on you and you're outside, jump in the pool, get it off, and uh, then go on with your day. <laughs>
0: You know, one of the things you include uh, is a chapter on putting together a first aid kit to send with your students. And, and quite frankly, that alone is, is worth the price of the book. So can you talk a little bit about that essential first aid kit? Absolutely. And
1: actually, that was how this whole book came about. So about. Ten years ago, or twelve years ago now, my next door neighbor, who was our babysitter for our our little girls, she was going off to college, and her mom said, "Hey, Dr. Jill, what is Elise going to do without you? You know, can you please take care of? You know, her? How, how are we going to send her off to college?" And I said, "Well, I'll make her first aid kit because I'm a family physician. This is what I do. It'll be great." So I did this beautiful first aid kit. And I, I'm very crafty. I'm that girl scout leader. I like to, you know, yeah. decorate things. So it was a work of art in my humble opinion. And I took it over there, very proud. And I presented it to the young lady who was thrilled and, and her mom looks at me and she goes, well, it's great. Uh, but she didn't know how to use that. Like she didn't know when to take Tylenol versus Advil. And so she, Lynn goes in her kitchen, whips out an index card and sands it to me with a pen. She's like, write these things down, write these things down. So, she, so I literally wrote down, you know, Advil versus Tylenol. What do you do if you're throwing up food poisoning for four or five things? And um and then as I started making these kits for, for kids over the years, and then as our kids got up into high school and went through that the single index card became a 20 page laminated booklet <laughs> and that expanded into this into And a, this. Book, so anyway, was a yeah, book was born. Yeah. So anyway and
0: now one and one, now one of your kids that at one time was just going off to college, she's an yes. illustrator. She illustrated yes. this book, which yes. is If I had published Um, on time, that wouldn't have happened. But the good news is our younger
1: daughter uh, got a degree in animation. And so she actually is an illustrator and she had worked for another publishing press and she's always, you know, it's your kid, right? So I, anytime I needed a medical illustration for my talks, I'm like, Hey, Nicole, can you draw this? So I included her drawings when I sent in my book proposal, never, it honestly never occurred to me that they would let you know, an outside uh, yeah. illustrator do it, but they did, so it worked out great because she was
0: in college, and you know <laughs> what college humor is. So her drawings are kind of funny and, and representative. But I have, I have a question. So I need an illustrator. How is she at drawing vulvas, vaginas, and and uterus? Well, at the moment, she's too busy working in the Disney
1: College Program to do anything else. She's not even doing drawing for fun right now. <laughs> so. <laughs> but,
0: so let me ask you this. Um, you know. One of the things that occurred to me is when I went to college, a book like this would have been worth its weight in the gold. But today's student, you know, they're attached to their phone and they're going to Google their symptoms. So how does a parent convince their kid that it's better to check out this book first instead of just consulting Dr. Google? Yeah. One, uh, you don't.
1: Two, um, because they're going to figure it out. What happens is at two in the morning, when you're having heartburn, um, you know, indigestion, reflux, and and you Google that, Dr. Google is going to send you down a dark path that you have esophageal cancer. I mean, it just I you know, know. It, it, it's amazing, or you have a really bad you have a migraine, um, immediately you now you have a brain tumor. So it just takes once or twice of doing that for them to figure out that there's quicker information and what to do in it. Also, if you give it to them. And they flip a lot of kids, you know, get it this as a high school graduation gift. And that's I mean, that was really my intent. And again, make the first aid kit. I've got the, I've got all the ingredients and my cheat notes are all in the book. So you can make your own. But um, um, if you give it to them, then during the summer, you know, everybody gets anxious about going off to college. Mm-hmm. And if, it, if this book is left out, or if you want to put your $20 bill strategically in certain things, they will read it. They'll flip through it. it this is not a sit down and read cover to cover book. It's just oh, it's not. It's a 2 a.m. Yeah. a Yeah. But, you know, test anxiety is in here. And that's, that's a really, really, really big problem. And kids think they're the only one, especially if they're super smart, if they were valedictorian of their high school and they go off to college, I mean... The, they do not believe that anyone else is struggling where everyone's struggling, but there's practical tips that can help them. And once they find
0: one thing in the book that helps them, they're going to go back to it. That becomes their go-to. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's so much of, of what you're so good at is the, um you're not the only one experiencing this because while we've talked about really serious and potentially life-threatening things like you know blood clots and collapsed lungs and STIs mm-hmm. you also have things in there that are not life-threatening but for a student there is nothing scarier than like you said test anxiety or even something like heartburn or a headache and and is a hangnail. A- I mean you cover it all. You really do. And I know that there were a lot of things. You said there were a hundred plus topics and you had to whittle yeah. it down to only sixty, but there's a lot more because in each chapter, even though there's only 60 chapters, each yeah, chapter there's is considered. a treasure trove <laughs> of information. So you know when I went to college, I don't know about you, but when I went to college, um I called home every Sunday for a once weekly call yep. with my parents and it was a Quick call because long distance was expensive, right. but this was really just to say hi and let them know I was alive and that nothing terrible was going on. And then my daughters, when they went off to college, it was kind of shocking to me that, you know, they'd be walking to class and pick up their cell phones and just check in. And it wasn't unusual for them to call me a few times a day, which is, you know, nice because I have a close relationship and I love them. But I don't know, do you, how often do you think these check ins should occur? We're trying to launch them and to be independent adults. Do you think parents, Need to say, hey, call me whenever you want. Do you think they should put some limits? How how best to communicate with your kid when they go off to school? You know, this is
1: such an individual thing. And uh, I had the same experience as you. I think most of us did. It was that, you know, there was one phone down at the end of the hallway. It was pay phone. And it was the Sunday night call and check in. But now people text all day long, and um, and the helicopter parenting, you know, complicates all of that because we want we want to solve things and and add in the pandemic, and we feel terrible for them because they've you know like all of us have, have suffered in one way or another, but we feel bad for them. They they lost this or that of their senior year, and now they're off in college and they're texting. And um, I will say, at first, you know, it's fine to let them sort of text you know, pretty much as much as they want. I think sometimes you need to be a little less available so that when they text with, with the, Oh my God, the food's awful. You do not need to respond to that immediately saying, Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm going to send you a care package and I'll send food right away. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll Venmo you money. You can order pizza right now. You know? Um, so I think, and you know, uh, I'm talking to myself here, too. I've been absolutely guilty of, of wanting to jump in and fix things. But um, but it is definitely a time for them just to, to be doing things on their own. That includes some health matters. Um, if for anyone who's got a student who is getting ready to head off to college for the first time, let me please encourage you this summer to have them... Number one, schedule their own appointment, which honestly now is much, that's one of the good things of the pandemic. People have gotten very used to logging in and, and setting up appointments, have them schedule an appointment, have them go. If you can either go with them or if you can just be available by phone, have them fill out their own paperwork, that insurance paperwork. Because let me just tell you, if you have a 103 fever and you're throwing up or you just fell off your scooter and you honestly have a fractured... Uh, foot or whatever, and you're in pain, that's not the time to be trying to figure out how to fill out an insurance form to be seen at a doctor or an emergency room for the first time. It, it's stressful enough. No. So have them do it this summer when they need to get their contacts, you know, their their eye exam or see their dermatologist, see their gynecologist, see their family physician. make sure their immunizations are up to date. There's plenty of reasons to go. If they've got asthma, remember that they need refills on their inhalers, um, all kinds of good reasons, but have them schedule that appointment and have them be the one to actually fill out all the paperwork, including family history. You'd be amazed how many people are like, well, you know, we always ask them,
0: well, what runs in your family? Well, I don't know. Well, I can't tell you how many times I've taken a history from two members of the same family and think (laughs) that they were from two different families. You know, what did grandma die of? Oh, Breast cancer, and then her sister comes in. What did Grandma die of? Oh, it was definitely lung cancer. You know, and people, even adults, don't know. But yes, this is the time to talk about that. But your point is so well taken that we're we're so used to just doing for our for our yeah. young adults, and it's time. That's part of. Being independent um, and taking control of their own health is even something as simple as: Do you know what kind of insurance you have? Do you know how to fill out the form? Right. Do you know where the closest pharmacy is? Do you know what yeah. the phone number of that pharmacy is? We All that kind to call of stuff refill because right. they're so, going to need to do that. All the, and by the way, also
1: please have them take a picture front and back of your insurance card have them have a picture on their own cell phone and favorite it, and then do the same thing when you find their immunization record. Because I, yes, I know you submit these things to your university health center, for example, but one, it might be after hours and you might be going to an urgent care. Two, it doesn't matter. They need to show the insurance. They need to show the insurance card again. And it, most of the time, like on the immunization record, we may only have that they had their last flu shot. Now you might have their COVID shot, but we don't have when their last tetanus shot was. And that's the number one thing we need to know in a
0: university setting. When that beer can slices open yep. <laughs> yeah, their arm, they need oh, to know their tetanus shot was. Oh my God. You know what? I have to admit, I I, I don't. As much as I loved college, <laughs> I want to be going back. It's it's a little daunting. So uh, this has been so great. So so obviously, obviously, everyone should buy the Ultimate College Student Health Handbook. Um, not only for their college student, but for all of their friends, and get it a little bit before you want to give it to them, so you can read it yourself. Um, but this is truly the the perfect graduation gift. And thank you so much for. Or talking about all of this because too often we don't talk about it. And I will put all the information in program notes as far as where you can find Dr. Grimes books and information and all that. And is there anything else you'd like to leave us with? Yes, there is.
1: So I'm guilty of this uh, as much as so many of my peers, but be mindful of how often you have said, oh my gosh, college, are good. it's going to be the best years of your life. They, they hear that 16 million zillion times. And by by hearing that, it, and I hope it's the best years of their life so far. I certainly hope that that's not the best years of their life. My goodness, who wants to peak at 22, you know, really? <laughs> please know. But they hear that so often that, and they don't hear about maybe when you bombed a test or had a broken heart or got mono and had to go home for a semester or whatever. Um, they don't hear about that because, you know, we want to talk about the fun things about college and we take them tailgates and we take them to football games and basketball games and hockey games and, you know, we do all those fun things. So when they have their first bad day or heaven forbid, bad week, not only are they having a crummy week, but they feel like they've failed you. They failed themselves. This is supposed to be the best time of my life. I'm miserable. And you know, that is when you get that in that swirling vortex of depression. So be mindful of that. And, and, I'm not saying sit your kid down and tell them every horrible thing that happened to you in college, but spice spice that in here and there to say, you know, not every day is going to be great um, so that they have appropriate
0: expectations. Well, you know, I'm I'm so glad you brought that up, because the one thing we really didn't touch on is is mental health issues Mm -hmm. and there is nothing more important um, when you send someone off on their own then their mental health issues, because this is a time that's challenging. And I'm, I'm looking at your table of contents now, because I suspect that you do have, um, I do. you know, I, that you do address that.
1: Yes. I, I didn't go deep into eating disorders or deep into, I, I I went through anxiety and depression enough to say, look, here's all these questions to ask. And if you're, if these things are happening, it is time you to seek help. To get some help, yeah. and um, and if it's your friend, the other thing is so often college students they want to handle everything themselves, and I um, mean especially RAs who really think you know they're in a the position of authority, the resident advisors in the dorm, and they 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 really feel like they need to handle everything. But um, I know I did when I was one; uh, I felt like I needed to. Yeah. But the reality is, if you have a friend who is exhibiting severe signs of depression or anxiety, the best thing you can do for them is to walk them over to the health center or to help them make an appointment, make an appointment with a counselor, because that's the step that's the hardest is is getting there. And so um, you don't need to fix it, but it would be great if you could help them access care.
0: Well, you have written a book that is really going to make a difference. A huge difference for thank so many. You. So thank you. Thank you for that. And thank you for, for spending this time with me. And and thank you for being my friend. We go back a long, many, many, we many do. years. Of We won't even get into how we met, but it, it was at a <laughs> conference. Yes. But so we, we've known each other for a long time. And I'm so glad that we have stayed in touch as we both have kind of gone forward in the publishing world. So thank you. Thank you. absolutely,
1: Thank you. I love your podcast. And I'm so excited that you finally made a podcast. <laughs>
0: I'm Dr. Lauren Stryker, and thank you for joining me. You will find lots more information in my inside information books available on Amazon.com. And follow Francie as she navigates her way through vaginal dryness, hot flashes, and pretty much every menopausal symptom you can think of. I feel blue She helped me see the light